0: We're live in three,
1: two. Welcome into Leather Brains episode one hundred and sixty. We have a full crew here today. Of course, I am your host, Slapdog, and I am joined by Scotty Del Rey. Alan Casanova Castro and the big man Yeti himself, gentlemen. Happy almost conclusion to the Wild Card weekend. We've almost. Congratulations. Yep did did you climax Yeti?
0: Yeah, almost. We we still have a game and a half to go. So I'm
1: edging. Yeah, I'm edging. <laughs> You're edging. I'm shaking I'm edging. but I'm not there yet. Well, yeah. the, currently the Bills game is going on. I don't know if we should really define that as a game because it seems to be more of a blowout at this juncture. 21-10. Uh, dis- okay, 10. 21-10. 21, 10. 21 they got a touchdown 10. right before the right half. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't expect the Steelers to win this game. Mm. I don't think the Steelers expect to win this game and and I don't think any of us had the Steelers winning this game. So, <clears throat> I Not will keep track
3: of the uh, nine and a half that the Bills are favored in most books. So that's what we're rooting for now a <laughs> okay. backdoor cover.
1: Yeah, nine and a half point spread. I mean, that, I think that's the biggest the biggest spread out of all of the games for uh, this wildcard weekend. So not a good look. I, uh, I had even went and tweeted and I, it, it is astounding that the Steelers are here. If I'm being honest with you, this, the Steelers aren't a great team, but they made it to the playoffs and it looks like they're uh, probably going to conclude their playoff run here at the uh, end. Don't of-
2: underestimate of- Josh Allen's today. ability to throw five interceptions in one half. Could happen. Ooh. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I just don't, I don't know. I don't see it happening. They look too good. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll provide updates for that game, but, uh, there's other things that we're going to discuss. So, of course, we have the coaching updates. There's games that have already happened that need some discussion. We have Brain Busters. So, if anybody has questions, please go over to YouTube and ask your questions over there and we will answer them. Actually, even for people on Twitter, I think they filter over now. So if you got any questions, hit us up. We will answer them at the end of the show. Uh, and then we're also going to be talking about the, divisional round preview that is upcoming after uh, after this week of football. So let's let's kick things off with the coaching updates. Some of this is news and some of this is not. So bear with me. We're gonna start out with Bill Belichick. Mr. Billiam himself. It is an end of an era, gentlemen. He is out at New England. Normally I wouldn't I wouldn't really ask any questions to you guys about a coaching change because they come and they go, but I, I feel like this is a really, really um this is a big narrative. I mean, Bill Belichick has been a uh, – he is a historical NFL head coach, and, and for him to leave New England, uh, they've already found their their replacement. It's their linebacker's coach, Jared Mayo. He is uh, the new head coach and will be introduced tomorrow. So – or excuse me, on Wednesday. Today's Monday. I mean, I, I, was this the right move? I I think it was. I think most NFL fans think this is the case. But are, is, this, is Bill Belichick going to end up somewhere else in, in your guys' thoughts? What do you think?
3: I think for me the what was most interesting about this two three-day window was just you had literally the probably greatest coach in college football history retire and then you had I mean some would debate with or without Tom how that looks with Bill Belichick as being one of the greatest NFL coaches in history and it's not often you get to say that about two sports where like there's like such seismic shifts but I think from a Patriots perspective it's been a A few years of this, ever since Tom left, you can kind of see this brewing where they couldn't get the quarterback situation settled. Um, I think it makes sense. I think for Patriots fans, it makes sense. I would have liked to see Bill one more year. I'd like to see what they did with the draft first because I think this is going to be tough on a first-year head coach getting a top draft pick, no quarterback solidified. Like, I think from an organizational standpoint, I think New England maybe should have just waited just maybe a hair longer. But if Bill wanted out to, if he was tired of that shit, I totally get it as well. Sometimes, you know, at work, you're just kind of over it.
1: And I had seen some reports that him and the GM, um, or not the GM, but the owner, Robert Kraft, uh, there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes and a lot of um, disagreements between both of those parties. So it sounds like it was kind of a mutual shaking of hands and, and moving on to a new era. I just I it, Bill Belichick's not a young a young guy anymore. He's what 72, 73 I think. He's he's up there, right? So do you think he goes and finds a new home in the NFL or is his time in the NFL done?
0: I think Jerry Jones is already on his way to go pick up Bill Belichick. <laughs> Obviously Dallas doesn't have an opening yet, but I think the writing's on the wall there for Dallas to uh their coach as well, but one thing I want to talk about with Bill Belichick is something that I, I think is wild to kind of comprehend is that a lot of the rookies that are coming into the league now, they were born in like two thousand two, two thousand three, and Bill Belichick has been around for a long time. So some of these guys, <clears throat> they were they weren't or they were barely born before Bill Belichick went on this run with Tom Brady. So it's like, what I wonder how how those guys feel about playing for bill Belichick, but because he's probably so out of touch with those guys now, that's a, that's a huge gap in age. Like I wouldn't want to play for bill Belichick right now. If I was a 21, 22 year old guy. No, sorry, man.
1: No, I, I I understand what you're saying. And I tend to agree. I think some of his play or his coaching style can, can be dated. I, I think that might, might be, there might be some credence there and it could be true. Um, I think for me, you looking at the entire scope of the situation, I just wish he would have went out in a really cool way. Like I'm sure they'll have some sort of ceremony uh-huh. where he comes back to the Patriots and they, you know, give him a sideline ovation, but like if you would just would have cleared the sideline like and I I won't say this about many coaches, but if you just would have cleared the sidelines and let him just wave off at the fans and walk off alone, like that would have been one of the the coolest most stoic ways for Bill Belichick like the thank you for what you've done for that organization because he has. I mean, he he has changed the Patriots forever so yeah
3: do you think do you think uh he is the greatest do you think he's the greatest coach of all time or do you think it's Tom Brady he's just a great defensive coach that just happened to have one of the greatest quarterbacks
1: I think as far as coaches are concerned in my opinion I think all coaches benefit from having a generational talent like Tom Brady and and in some aspects I think the same can be said for somebody like Andy Reid like I and don't get me wrong I think Andy Reid is a wonderful Mm -hmm. coach but I, how much can we contribute, Patrick Mahomes, and the the success that is Patrick Mahomes? I, I think more often than not, those go hand in hand, and and I think Bill Belichick is somewhat of an example of that, where you've seen him decline a little bit in his abilities as a coach with Tom Brady not present. So, I think they go hand in hand a lot more than people. Yeah, I
3: agree. The Twitterverse definitely. Likes to point out that <laughs> Bill Belichick wouldn't be the goat without Tom Brady, so it's always an interesting discussion. I think if I'm Bill Belichick, as soon as Tom left, I would have left. I just would have found sure. somewhere else too. I just would have been like, "All right, peace, I'm out." You know, that yeah. was a good run because I think I think it kind of tarnished his legacy just a smidge, and not that he gives a shit what four assholes on a <laughs> pot are saying about him, but I think like the overall like kind of narrative of him is kind of like, "Oh, well, he kind of like shit the bed towards the end," and so it's like. And it just kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Where if he walked away and maybe went to a totally different team, and it, it, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye if he tried to like resurrect some failing franchise. But I, I wish he would have just walked when when Tom did.
1: Yeah, and another coach that has – there have been somewhat of a mutual parting of ways, it seems, is Pete Carroll. I mean, another guy who's been with an organization for a while and changed an organization for the better. He is out at Seattle, and uh, it's looking like the Cowboys defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, is expected to be a top prospect per Adam Schefter. I'm just going to say this. Dan Quinn just—I wouldn't want to play for him. He looks kind of scary. He looks like somebody who's going to be a no bullshit kind of guy, and just based on his physical appearance, I don't think I'd like to co- or be coached by him. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Kind of scares and he
0: Blew a Super Bowl lead.
1: And he so. Blew a Super Bowl lead. Yeah, that's that's also fair. I uh, yeah, a really bad one. Um, Yeah. So both of these guys are out. And then Mike Vrabel, this one was a shock. This one, I really am interested in your guys' thoughts and opinions here. I didn't really see this coming. I know the Titans have had somewhat of a mediocre uh, last really two years now. And, but they've, they've still found a way to be competitive. I have a lot of respect for Mike Vrabel and the Titans have, have fired him. So I have no doubt in my mind, Vrabel will find a new head coaching gig, but were you guys surprised to hear that news?
2: I, I wasn't surprised to hear it. I, there were kind of rumblings from the beginning of the season that, you know, obviously the Titans have struggled to get over that. You know, they've been they've been competitive, but they've kind of struggled to overcome that mediocrity to a degree. And Vrabel has kind of suggested that he's also frustrated with the situation and with the organization. So I think this, even though he was fired, I, I think Vrabel was expecting to leave after this season one way or another.
3: I think after they got rid of A.J. Brown, I think that was it. Because there's that clip on that circulates when they traded him and he walks away like, the fuck is this? I think at that point, that was the unraveling of that relationship. I think he's trying to make good with whatever was there, but I think it was over. I think that relationship was definitely strained at that point in time. And so I'm not surprised that he's gone. I'm more interested to see where the hell he's going to go because I yeah. think he's really good. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a player's coach. <clears throat> he He got Tennessee to... I don't know how many playoff appearances where you're like, who the fuck like Ryan Tannehill is out here looking serviceable. In in I'm interested to see which organization's now going to want to lean into that a little more. I guess which organization do you feel like should lean into that a little more that currently has some of these vacancies? Ooh.
1: I think I'll, the Panthers. Uh, Go ahead, Daddy.
0: I'll take this one, <clears throat> and I'm going to say the Cowboys. I agree. And, and I know the Cowboys don't have a vacancy yet, but if you look at that team, they're just missing an identity. And if you throw somebody in there like Mike Vrabel, Vrabel, who will get on his players' asses and get them in check, I think that team is, you know, they're going to be a physical, aggressive team that's going to want to play for, for him. Whereas you have a guy like Mike McCarthy who's not a – we don't really know the the – uh, um, what this team is supposed to be, the identity of this team, um, and we saw that last night. Obviously,
2: yeah. The, the the Cowboys have been missing for so long, just a chip on their shoulder. They've they've always been overrated, and they're America's team, and this and that. And they're always, you know, people are talking about how they're Super Bowl contenders. Seems like every year, and so it, it just feels like they're not going into these key matchups with the chip on their shoulder. And if one person can bring that, it's Mike Vrabel. So I think that would be a great uh, a great addition for that organization.
1: I like him in Seattle. I, I think Seattle would be a really good landing spot for him. Um, Seattle is has had an identity, and it would be mm-hmm. it was Pete Carroll and what he had done there. And um, while there's some question marks at the quarterback position, of course, I think Vrabel that would be a good fit for him. Like based on his coaching style and the players that the the Seahawks do have, I like that as a fit. But we'll see. There there are other. Coaching changes that have happened, and I'm going to fire them off real quick. And if you guys want to stop at any of them, please stop me at any time. Washington Commanders, they have fired Ron Rivera. We knew that, but there are several rumors, but no concrete intel on top prospects to currently replace him. Eric Bieniemy is uh, he is absent from reports, and and I, that to me is a little surprising. Um, that they haven't come out and said they at, le- at the very least want to to give him an interview. I think that is more than warranted at this point, um, but. As of yet, Eric Bieniemy's name has been pretty quiet on the Commanders' front. Atlanta Falcons—they fired Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith, and thank God, there are several rumors, but no concrete intel on who would replace him at this juncture. The Chargers—they fired Brandon Staley. As is no surprise to Chargers fans or anybody that is a fan of the NFL. Jim Harbaugh was in LA today to meet with Chargers per Tom Pelissero. Raiders defensive coordinator Patrick Graham and Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald are all candidates in that. They've also completed interviews from 49ers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes and Ravens OC Todd Munkin. Chargers ain't fucking around. I mean, they've had a lot of time to try and figure out who their candidates should be, so I think they've they've got a, a war board, so to speak, of, of who sh- their next head coach should be, uh, and they're, they're wasting no time with these interviews, so... Uh, And then Carolina Panthers, they fired Frank Reich. We all knew that as well. Panthers have stated they are planning on conducting 12 interviews to fill the role, including two in-house candidates, um, which would be Chris Tabor, who's been their interim head coach, as well as their defensive coordinator. I can't even pronounce this. Can one of you pronounce this for me? You guys know. I mean? Okay, we're gonna call him Mister Ivero. <laughs> uh, you just gotta say it fast and confidently. I'm not confident. In just my roll the R's.
2: It'll sound like you're saying it perfect. <laughs> uh,
1: and then Vegas, they fired uh, Josh McDaniels. So congratulations, there, Yeti. We knew that was was uh, has Thank happened. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good. Interim head coach Antonio Pierce is rumored to be among the top prospects, but other fun rumors are circulating, including Jim Harbaugh as well as John Gruden. I'm a, I, and I want to stop here before we we kind of break down this Houston Browns game. What do you think about this Yeti? Because Antonio Pierce he has completely changed the Raiders organization since the departure of Josh McDaniels, and that team looks like a completely different team than when they were playing for Josh McDaniels. There have been Antonio Pierce has garnered some interest with some other NFL teams as well as a potential head coaching option. So do you want to see him stay home with the Raiders? Are you okay with him departing for uh for a different pasture? what are your thoughts on this whole thing?
0: Mm, it it's very interesting because if he would have asked me before all these coaches got fired and all these all the carousel happenings that are going on right now, I would have said yes, a hundred percent. And the reason why is because Antonio Pierce just seems like an old school Oakland Raider guy. You know, he's a bad boy who comes in with this mentality of, "I'm going to bring in a bunch of misfits. We're going to fuck up the league. I don't care how they act. We're just going to go out there, play physical, play fast, play aggressive football like the Oakland Raiders used to back in the day. Um, but with all these firings that have happened and all the, these head coaches that are available, uh, notably Mike Frabel, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who's been rumored to you know, the Raiders and the Chargers now. It makes me a little more interested into, in those guys over Antonio Pierce. So I think you have to, if, if I'm Mark Davis, which he doesn't have many brain cells left, but if he has a few <laughs> left, I think you have to try to swing for those two guys. If it doesn't work out, Antonio Pierce is your guy because the team did come around towards the end of the season.
3: Yeah. Question, Yeti, as a follow-up. <clears throat> what if not bringing back Antonio Pierce costs to Max Crosby? Cause he's, he said, if you don't hire Antonio Pierce, I'm leaving, which I feel like is such a childish thing to do. Like, I agree. I get you had a good end of the year with him. I think he, I think he was a great players coach. I think Antonio Pierce was what that team needed to end this year to like, keep people together. But I don't know if that's the future for the Raiders. Like, I don't know what more he gives you other than what he gave you. Like, um, so is it worth it to lose Max Crosby to get somebody other than Antonio <laughs> Pierce? Would you say yes or no?
0: Uh, I, god. I want to say yeah, that's,
3: okay. that's a tough question. I give you Jim but, Harbaugh, but you lose Max Crosby. Would you take it? No. You
1: wouldn't take oh, it. I would not take that. Would I think every Max- Rabel? If you if you would get Mike yeah. Rabel but you lose Matt Crosby, would you take it?
0: Oh no. So no.
1: what if i think Bill my... belichick is like i want to no. cash in <laughs> some Bill. of these
3: checks nope. <laughs> okay <laughs> instant no
0: easy no He's is there any nerve.
3: current nfl head coach or fired head coach that you would take in vegas to get rid of max crosby or are you just saying i don't andy want to Reed. get rid of max arthur andy, andy Reid? yeah
1: i'll andy take andy Reid off your hands or mike tomlin could i interest you in john gannon <laughs> that. To lose, you know,
0: you know what's interesting is I don't know how true this is, but I saw rumors flying around that if Antonio Pierce is held or retained as head coach, um, Cliff Kingsbury is rumored as the offensive coordinator that he wants to bring that. in. I don't know I if that's confirmed, that. but I, that would I, be I interesting.
1: I have a lot of respect for Cliff, especially after he left the Cardinals and like looking at that organization and kind of everything that had gone on. I think he was a little in over his head, but I think he still is a good offensive-minded coach. And to get him as an OC is not a—I would be, I would be excited about that.
3: Going going back really quick, staying in the division, but the Chargers. I think this one's really interesting. Uh, and we, you were in a run, so I didn't want to stop you. But you look at those are a lot of defensive guys that they're bringing in to you know to interview. I think that's super interesting. If depending on how you view Herbert, like I would assume based on how it went firing Staley and he's supposed to be a defensive guy, that they would lean in and try to go get somebody all offense and just be like, you know what, let's just capitalize on Herbert and what we have. I think it's an interesting choice to look at all these ground-and-pound kind of defensive guys that aren't really what you see. So I don't know how they're viewing Herbert, or is it really just kind of protecting him with the defense? But that was the only thing that really stood out to me. It was like who they're interviewing. seems They seem to be straying away from going from like some gung-ho offensive guy.
2: Which it is, almost it almost suggests that maybe Kellen Moore is planning on staying there. And and they're confident in that and they know that they have a good offensive mind on staff, so they're comfortable focusing more on their defensive problems. That's a good point. I,
1: that is a good point. And I, I that is I mean, Kellen Moore has been kind of touted as another potential head coaching candidate, but it has kind of it's gone a little quiet on that front recently. So maybe that is the case. Maybe he does stay with the Chargers, and that that could lend some of the credences to why they are looking for a defensive guy. But I would think that you know, I I'm a, was in Allen's camp until you brought that up, Scotty. You would think you would try and you would want somebody to come in and maximize this offense because it has looked it's struck I mean, this year was a wonderful example of it struggled. The Chargers' offense was terrible. I mean, the Chargers in, in entirety were terrible, but their offense should have been good given all the personnel and the talent that they had. So I would I would have thought they would have kind of swung for that. But yeah. let's pivot over to. Uh, to the uh, weekend games here, let's talk about Houston for a little bit, Scotty. I'll let you take the reins with this one.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to give it right back to you, Hunter, because we'll we'll talk a little bit about the details of this game. But I just got to ask, two weeks in a row, man, you've doubted C.J. Stroud and the Texans, and I, I I gotta I gotta think that you know, as a former Texans fan, there's maybe a little bit of. Wanting them to fail in there, but you've bet against them the last two weeks. I just want to I get your you're thoughts right. on this.
1: No, 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 no. I, 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 think you are probably correct. Is I, I, I'm a former Texans fan, and the reason I left the Texans was because of I would say largely J.J. Watt. He, has, he was my favorite NFL player. He was with the Texans. He went to the Cardinals, and so I, I followed him there to the end of the career. The really shitty thing is now the Texans are good. Uh, the Texans are really good, and I have left the Texans to go support a mediocre, sad, terrible franchise. So part of it is that I think for sure is I, I, I will always root for the Texans, I think. I will always be a Texans. They will have a special place in my heart, and I will always be a fan of theirs. I just didn't want it to be too early. And, like, that's that's where I look at the Texans team at now is I just don't want them to be too early. But at this juncture, I, I have to just be happy for them and excited for them, and I just want them to keep going. Like, if, if the Texans go to the Super Bowl, I'm going to be one happy motherfucker. But I also just – I want them to continue to have success, and so I just don't want them to find it too early and then they gas out for, for the next two to three years. And I don't know if that makes <laughs> sense or if that's fair to say, but that's kind of my mentality towards the whole thing is – I don't think they're there yet, but I think they're trending in that direction. Learn from the experience in the playoffs, and then let's go kill it again next year. And I think CJ Stroud certainly has the potential to do that.
3: Do you yeah. wish you were still a Texans fan?
1: <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit. Um,
3: admittedly, yeah. I think of you all the time. I assume you still have like a little soft spot. And I think I do. I all mean, here, also, here look at I, this. Think, I, I think we'd this be okay if you, you said,
1: mantle. Yeah, I mean, this I is just all on my s- mantle. S- mantle.
3: Would everybody be okay? Like, would the the three of us sitting here looking at Hunter be okay if he's like, you know what? I'm still kind of a Texas fan. Like, I I still like I like them. Like, I think I don't think they would let me. No. Oh, you, they, you uh, don't no. think so? We would definitely okay.
2: give you shit. But it's understandable because I think all of us here are kind of Texans fans. Just seeing what that team's been able to do in yeah. such a short period of time, and just just from a football fan perspective, I think everybody's kind of a Texans fan right now. But if Hunter did that, yeah, I would give him shit relentlessly forever. <laughs> See, yeah, and that's what? why I can't.
1: Who
0: has three football teams? He has the Cardinals, the Texans, and the Lions. Like <laughs> Lions are not teams.
2: my football team.
1: See, that's the difference. He just, he just likes Dan Campbell. I just uh, like Dan Campbell. Okay.
2: Well, and also it's it's kind of a unique thing. A lot of people maybe listening live in an area where they are in close proximity to a football team. And he, being born and raised in the state of Nebraska, you got all sorts of options. And many people just choose one and just just send it. And that's kind of what Hunter did, which is understandable. That's true. That is Except, that is what happened.
1: But Except like, here's Getty's the thing case, too: is is like I, all... I wouldn't root for the Lions if Dan Campbell wasn't there. Like I I wouldn't I would not be yeah. as excited for the Lions if it wasn't for Dan Campbell. So like if he if if the Lions were to fire Dan Campbell tomorrow and he were to go find a new team, I would be. There would be a few teams I would never root for, regardless of who their head coach is. But for the most part, there I'm I'm pretty open as far as like I like here I don't, and I like Dan Campbell, so I would like whatever team he went for.
3: Uh, Yeti, you get Dan Campbell, but you lose Max Crosby.
1: (laughs) I'd be be rooting for the Raiders. Okay, okay. You'd get one fan
3: over here. Oh, God. No. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you gain Dan Campbell, you gain Hunter,
0: but you lose Max Crosby. Easy no. Easy no. Are you serious? I already have Hunter in my back
1: pocket, so we're good. (laughs) That's what you (laughs) think. That's what you think. All right, fair. Fair, fair, fair. uh, Yeah, uh, to, (laughs) to wrap that up, I am sad. I'm happy for the Texans because... I. They are a good team, and it's they're fun to watch right now. And I'm I'm happy that they found success given the Deshaun Watson situation and how quickly they were able to flip that, get that out of the way. They look like they were going to be a bottle-of-the-barrel barrel team, and they've come out and, and proven that they are anything but that. So I was really happy with them winning. And I think to answer your question, Scotty, though, I have been kind of rooting against them because I just don't want it to happen yet.
2: Fair enough. Yeti, why don't you uh, actually talk about this game a little bit so we can get into what happened?
0: <laughs> Obviously, uh, Houston, they, they're the talk of the town right now. But I think we need to talk about Cleveland for a little bit and just their you know, their defensive woes that they've had all season. Um, so at home, there's no denying, denying that this team was one of the best uh, defensive teams in the history of the NFL. They went eight and one at home. They averaged just under 14 points allowed per game and under 240 yards per game, which is pretty, you know, those numbers are amazing in the modern NFL. But you get them away from Cleveland, and my God, it's a completely different story. They're three and five on the road. They average nearly 30 points per game allowed and over 340 yards allowed per game. So it's almost like we should have seen this coming. Um, I, I think um, a lot of the media, we might have gotten caught up in Joe Flacco and the allure of Joe Flacco going on the road a few weeks ago against Houston, putting up stupid numbers with Amari Cooper and thinking, okay, Cleveland's going to do that again. But C.J. Stroud didn't play in that game, and a couple of their defensive stars were out in that game. <clears throat> so now we, we actually got to see what would happen with the fully – healthy houston squad and they laid it on cleveland almost
3: fully they're still missing some offensive weapons i think they were almost fully i think this is surprising to me because i generally the rule of thumb is that defense is portable like defense is the thing that you can take with you in the playoffs like if you're a dome team and you have a great offense you have to go play on the road generally you you have a fall off but from a defensive standpoint i think it's I think that this Houston offensive line was severely underestimated. Um, how they could hold up. I think Laramie Tunsil did a great job blocking um, Garrett. I think they, he kept him at bay. I don't think there was like any impact. The Flacco pick six for me was the thing that really just that tilted it because then you it was kind of like all right, they were they were going back and forth. They were keeping it close. You know, Flacco's kind of driving, and then I think that pick six was kind of like completely deflated that whole offensive side, and they never recovered from that, which. You could point back to coaching like, you know, still a lot of game left. But to me, that was a turning point. But I am surprised that um, Cleveland was able to give up that many. But maybe not. CJ Stroud, you know, up and coming. I think he's going to be the next thing for this league. Um, so maybe we'll look back on this as like, yeah, should have seen that coming. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of of this generation.
0: Yeah, and you bring up Joe Flacco, who Cleveland, they brought in to be their uh, date for Thanksgiving, their their Christmas date, their New Year's Eve, Eve kiss, you know, just a little holiday fling action. He goes 4-2 and two as a starter there, almost 2,000 passing yards, 14 TDs, 10 picks, and he brings Amari Cooper and, and David Njoku to life for fantasy owners. So we know that this fling with Joe Flacco has probably come to an end. After the game on Saturday, he he said, you know, I don't know how much longer I want to play football. So that leaves us for
1: like 60 years. Yeah,
0: right. (laughs) So now that leaves us with the question of what does the future of Cleveland look like? Because we've seen what this offense can look like with a gunslinger, dare I say, in Joe Flacco. Um, But this offense didn't look as great with Deshaun Watson, who just he's on a huge contract. Mm -hmm. So what are we what are we doing with Cleveland now?
2: I think you got to give them a little bit of a pass uh, with the underperforming prior to Joe Flacco coming on board just because of all the injuries that they had, namely Nick Chubb. You know, you built this offense around Nick Chubb being able to establish that ground game and then being able to run play action and bootlegs and use Watson's mobility off of that. And losing such a key player is going to change everything. So you expect a little bit of issues there. So uh, for me personally, and I think Brown fans hopefully feel the same way, is, you know, you guys had a great season with all the adversity that you faced and this team there's a lot of good things to be excited about I think this is another year where you got to say Deshaun Watson you got to come in and prove it we paid you this much money you got to come in and prove it but as of right now I'd still feel pretty optimistic as a Browns fan
1: yeah I you did this with Joe Flacco like let's not let's not sit here and pretend that Joe Flacco is is a top-tier upper echelon quarterback. Maybe years ago, he, he was in the conversation, but, I mean, he is an old, dare I say, washed-up veteran who came in and carried this Browns team to a playoff run, and it, and it ended this week. But um, I still like to think that Deshaun Watson, when healthy, should be a better quarterback than Joe Flacco. The question at hand is, will he be? I'm starting to lean towards probably not because now – he's gotten hurt again or he's gotten hurt and he missed what half the year with Mm -hmm. his shoulder injury. Now he didn't play the last two seasons of the NFL. So like he's played half a season of football in the last three years. That's problematic to me. That is that like the alarm bells are starting to kind of go off in my head. If I'm a Browns fan And the reality is, is you're stuck with this guy because you're paying him so much money and they're not going to Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, him out of there. They're going to continue to use him. I think, you just have to hope and pray that he is what he was when he was with the Texans. And that's, mm-hmm. and it, it's starting to look like it could be a far cry from that.
3: Yeah, I agree. I also think with Flacco coming in and doing what he did, you have a blueprint of like what could happen kind of with this yeah. offense. And if he doesn't even live up to that low benchmark of what, no offense to Joe, like if he can't even live up to that, it's going to be such a terrible look for that front office. Cause now they're like, we we did better when we brought in Joe Flacco, who's retiring more so than we have with Deshaun Watson, who we're paying this an exorbitant amount of money to. And it's going to create a lot of cap problems for him. It's just not a great look. Like It was cool they made the playoffs, but now it's almost like you almost wish you didn't if you're a Browns fan or a Browns front office because you're like, damn, now we're like, that's our benchmark is with a beat up team and Joe Flacco. We can make the playoffs, but with a healthy Deshaun Watson, what what's our ceiling?
1: And let's not let's not. Take anything away from this beat up team, because I you really have to give your kudos out to Kevin Stefanski and what he has been able to do with this beat up team. So I, I think if anything, this proves that, you know, Cleveland has kind of been a roller coaster the last couple years where they've been good. They've been bad. They've had the Baker Mayfield era and then they moved on from that. And now they have this situation. I think this is kind of indicative that Kevin Stefanski should be a long-term solution for you because I I would imagine that there were some question marks around him and what, what his future looked like with the Browns if this Watson thing didn't work out. I think this is a really good indication that Kevin Stefanski is a pretty good head coach if you're taking this beat-up mm-hmm. team of second string offense and you're carrying them this far. So and and let's Agreed. also give give a shout out to Cleveland's defense because they they are one of the top tier elite defenses in the league and they definitely have their fair share of the reason why Cleveland made it this far. Just not yeah. on the road. Just not on the road as as you uh, gave your stats for. Us. So we want to move over to uh, the talk of the town here, Kansas City versus Miami.
0: Yeah, I'll take it away here as the uh, local Chiefs fan here. Um
1: <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, guys.
0: Um so let's be honest, nobody really wanted to play in this game, right? I don't <laughs> I mean Kansas City they showed up, they won, but my god, if I you told me you wanted to play in fifty dollars. Yeah, negative to get into that game. degree weather, you're crazy.
1: <laughs> I think you should I think it should have been free for any any Chiefs fans that wanted to come to that game. One
3: of when, when uh, i have a couple of good friends that are season ticket holders they didn't even go they're like this is not worth it um they're like this is so fucking cold like there's no way like to even enjoy yourself i did have a, a on a separate text start i have a couple of dolphins fans and i told them i said if the peak if if the ticket price goes below what a monthly subscription for peacock is you have to go and they're like <laughs> okay so they were watching the ticket prices and it never crept down to that point but like that was our go no go if it crept below the peacock subscription price they had to go watch the game
1: and there was a guy that was shirtless like he was taking a shirt off and i'm like here's the thing man like it and this goes for this goes for any nfl fans if you want to go to the game and you want to root for your team i'm there for it but if you're going to take your shirt off in negative 30 degree weather You're a fucking psycho, and you don't need to be going out in the game and getting frostbite on your titties. It just doesn't (laughs) need to happen.
2: That's the thing is, like, when people do that all the time and people call them crazy when it's, like, 20 degrees, and then it's like, okay... you know it's still crazy but it's 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 more understandable like this is like legitimately dangerous weather like yeah. i feel like those people are going to have Put scars from, from frostbite on. yeah no that just i was that that's a lot of bush light they're consuming down there To be i was to gonna say that.
3: speaking of bush light the probably the most interesting part of the game was if you're on twitter if you just search arrowhead beer there's pictures of all the beers exploding because of the temperature i think that's like that, to me, that was the worst part of the game because you could you imagine spending like 25 bucks for a beer, going to sit down, <laughs> and then it explodes. <laughs> so you didn't get to drink any of it. You basically just got to treat it like a lollipop and hope it gets you drunk at that point because you're not,
1: you can't do anything. Like, yeah, and then you're did.
2: soaking wet the rest of the game. <laughs> there's a yeah. video
1: of one of the concession stand employees pulling out a, uh, a bottle of smart water and they pull it out of the fridge and the, they're videotaping it. and it's liquid when it's in the fridge, and as they pull it out, you literally see the bottle change to ice yeah. as they are holding it in their hand. And it's like, that's when you know. It's put a so fucking stupid. shirt on, okay? It's put so your stupid. damn shirts on.
3: I've I'm, been I'm to there. A game. I get it,
1: but don't I've been to
3: games that that's cold. I don't know if you guys have been to games that are that cold. I think going to games in general, it's always an interesting mindset because it's cool before and during. And then as soon as the game's done you're like get me the fuck out of here like Like, i don't want to be out here anymore i don't care anymore i'm over it
2: people yeah Yeah, i could have been watching this at the comfort of my own home drinking my own beer
3: yeah when you're at home you just change the channel or you go take a piss or like you you know fire up rocket league or you know whatever the hell it is you want to do like but when you're there you're like now i gotta shuffle out i can't feel my feet i'm everything's exploding around me (laughs) but you won the (laughs) game but you won the game
1: I wouldn't even have cared. I've been like, this blows.
0: <laughs>
3: you know, <laughs>
1: thankfully blows.
0: my team was smart enough to make a dome. So we. I thankfully my team was it.
1: smart enough not to make the playoffs, so we didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> enough. That's a good so, call. Yeah. All right,
0: let's get the the wheels back on the wagon here, guys. Scotty, Allen, I think we need to have a discussion about Rasheed Rice because man, this rookie is looking like a veteran for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, on Saturday night, he had eight catches, 130 receiving yards, and a touchdown. Um, But not only that, but his his numbers on the season were impressive for a rookie. 102 targets, 938 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. Um, And he did all this with a low average depth of target of five yards. He was mainly just a yard after the catch guy. And in fact, he had... The most tied for most yak yards with Amon Ra St. Brown at 732 yards. So, my question to you guys is Is Rasheed Rice legit? Is he the future of the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver room?
2: It sure seems like we don't have any other options, so I'll 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 gladly take him, (laughs) given the state of our wide receiver room throughout this season. So yes, I'm very excited that uh, you know when he started the season, he was dealing with some of the same drops that a lot of the other receivers were. Uh, But ultimately, we always saw the potential in him. And in fact, on this podcast, we talked about how with all the drop problems that they're having, the game plan number one needs to be Pacheco, and number one a needs to be give the ball to Rashi Rice in space. And if you do those things, we can make plays happen. And it seems like they really caught on to that throughout the season, and especially here toward the end. So I'm excited. And I think he's becoming a guy, especially as Travis Kelsey this season seems to be declining. Uh you got to make him the center, the focal point of the passing attack.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think uh Rice, you could see it clicking as the year went on. I think when it became blatantly obvious that MVS and Sky Moore were just not gonna do it. I think you saw uh Reed and Nagy focus on getting him the ball more, which has really helped his total. So those those year long totals are actually kind of like interesting because it's he didn't become a focus until pro- the latter half of the year, and then you saw it even more in the Bengals game um, where he had 127 yards receiving, five catches. Like he made a play, and we could probably clip it and come back to it. But he made a play where even afterwards, Mahomes said that wasn't the play design, but he realized there was no safety over top did a double move and went and we just went for it. And I think that's the evolution of this is when you're starting to get to that Kelsey level of like, we're now we're just doing shit unscripted. That's when it becomes even more dangerous. And I think he's leaning into that. Um, And I think if you're going to own him in any fantasy capacities, or you're looking at dynasty or looking at redraft next year, I think it's an interesting kind of like middle round play of like, this could develop into something. And then certainly from a dynasty perspective, as they don't have anybody else right now, you're kind of keeping your eye on the offseason to say, like, are they going to sign someone like a T. Higgins or are they going to bring in like a Mike Evans? But I mean, he certainly looks like the guy that can be physical and and get you all the way to the crib.
1: I still think the Chiefs should. Here's my concern with Raji Rice. Look, I I it's young rookie, he's a talented wide receiver. I don't think he's a true wide receiver one. Um I think Part of Rice's success could be maybe partially attributed to Travis Kelsey and the fact that he is still drawing a lot of attention hundred percent, And so 100%. I I still think you need another weapon. It it could Rashi Rice be a low end wide receiver one, sure. But I don't think he is talented enough to garner the respect of a defense as the the entire wide receiver, like not like a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson, I guess is kind of where I'm going with it. And obviously, that's not that's not who he is. But he needs some additional help in that offense to help him get open and not be the entire focus of the defense. So
2: yeah, I, I don't think there's anyone that saw the Chiefs play this season that thought they don't need to add any more weapons. Rashad well, Rice has got it. Sure. <laughs> I, I think we're all on the same page on that front. Yeah, and you know what's well,
0: what's interesting about Rice is you look at his route tree and all the success that he's having are coming on slants or in cutting routes. Like it's not like he's running vertical routes and getting mass yards at a time. It's just these easy four to 10 yard dump passes that he's cribbing or he's, he's taken for 15 yards after the catch. So I, I kind of think if the Kansas city chiefs get a wide receiver in free agency and they will, they need to look at somebody that's like a vertical threat. Um, somebody who can really take the top off off of defense and i don't know if t higgins is that guy i know mike evans is a free agent and he is kind of up there too. but i think mike evans yeah. could be that vertical wide receiver one that really complements rishi rice if kelsey were to leave as well
1: i also like the term cribbin that's nice <laughs> i think we cribbin. should start saying that a lot more often yeah. he's taking well, cribbin
2: I want to keep talking about the wide receivers for a second because, uh, you know, as I've alluded to just seconds ago, the, the, the drops have been a real issue. And for some reason, um, for, for some reason, the up. Chiefs decided to remember how to secure the ball in negative 30 degree weather. So I just wanted to run a couple ideas, you know, maybe they require freezing hands in order to catch the ball. So I think maybe we get some buckets of ice water or something on the sidelines to start next season and they 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 hold them in there during every possession or or maybe even we replace our locker room with a giant like meat locker freezer so that way in between possessions they can run in there and just and just freeze for a <coughs> while because I I genuinely was was very surprised to see how well these receivers were able to secure the ball, especially given the circumstances. And I was pleasantly surprised, but it's just baffling.
3: My only gripe from that game as a Chiefs fan is McCole Hardman bailed on three deep passes that would have been. He did not been, want to be there, dude. <laughs> he did not want to be there at all. If he would have <laughs> caught those, th- this game could have been 40-7. to Easy. Like it should have been 40 to seven. I think the thing that is taking away from the chiefs right now is their red zone offense, which we've talked about in chat where since the has gone, they've slid all the way to the back half of the league in red zone touchdown conversions. And that's where this is going to hurt them. And if they have to go on the road and play Buffalo, it's like you, you can't, you're not going to win. You're not going to beat Josh Allen by kicking field goals. You're be able, you're going to be able to beat a lot of teams by kicking field. They got to figure this shit out. And the, the, thing for me was Hardman not selling out on those was like ugh. there's your vertical threat but he doesn't even want to catch it so what's the freaking point
2: <laughs> well and I also want to th- this game reinvigorated my love for Patrick Mahomes because obviously this offense has been very disappointing all season long and you know a lot of that is not Patrick Mahomes fault as we've discussed with the drops but it it, it basically has humanized him to a degree to say, hey, maybe this guy can't just put the team on his back and win every game no matter what. So – now that they've won again in the postseason, I just wanted to bring this up. Patrick Mahomes has more playoff wins than Troy Aikman, who had 11 playoff wins in 12 seasons, and he's Detroit. tied for playoff wins with Aaron Rodgers, who had 12 playoff wins in 16 seasons as a starter, and he did all, all of that in only six seasons as a starter. If he gets five more playoff wins, which seems like it's inevitable you know, over the course of at least a few years, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes being launched from the 10th all, all time to the second all time in terms of playoff wins in less than 10 years and he'll be second only behind tom brady rogers flacco and russ are the only three people in the top 25 of that metric that are still playing so nobody else is even competing with patrick mahomes on this front he really is one of if not the greatest quarterback we've ever seen and i'm just so happy he's a chief
0: and as a raiders fan it just hurts to
1: <laughs> hear that yeah, I'm glad I'm really far away from this. But I, I'm going to say this, I and I said this in our group chat when when the Chiefs won. This this felt like a really good win for the Chiefs. That's how, mm-hmm. th- as somebody who's not a Chiefs fan, um, and I know I was catching some heat on this over on Twitter, but uh, I'm happy for you guys. This felt like a really good win for, for the Chiefs. And it, I, I think more, more than anything else, this really proved what the Dolphins are, and that's the F word, frauds. That's what the Dolphins have really been all season, mm-hmm. and that we saw that come to fruition in that game. So um, it was it was. Let's flip the script a little bit. Let's talk about yeah. the Dolphins side. Of I'm done talking about
0: some... Kansas City for a Me little too. bit. We Aww. need to we, we need to go to Miami, guys. I'm yeah. sorry, um, But I know we've uh, flirted with the idea of calling Miami fraudulent, and I think we can, in fact, say they are fraudulent. They are. They weren't anywhere near. Legit, a legit, legit. God, I can't talk. I'm. Um, they just okay? got me so worked we're, up. Yeah, we're I'm doing good. a podcast. Um, it out, yeah. <laughs> blah blah blah, <laughs> blah 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 blah. But Miami is not a legit team at all. And I, if we look at the stats on the season, uh Miami they were ten and one against teams that did not make the playoffs. They averaged thirty five points per game, over four hundred forty yards per game. But when they went up against teams that were legit, they were one and six. They had 16 points per game and 316 yards per game. Yikes. And in the last four games of the season, they combined for a whopping 62 points against Dallas, against Baltimore, against Buffalo and Kansas City. This was a team that damn near set the scoring record against the Denver Broncos, and they could only come up with 62 points in the last four games. Now, there's a there's a lot of... Uh, you know a lot of controversy if this is a mike mcdaniel problem if this is a tua problem and while you know the weather was far from ideal in this game obviously if tua is going to want to succeed in this league he's going to have to go on the road and play in cold weather games Um, especially when we're talking about teams like baltimore kansas city cincinnati buffalo all being legitimate teams that you're going to have to go on the road and face in the playoffs Tua in those games and cold weather games, he's 0-6, and he only has seven passing touchdowns for 12 picks. So what do you guys think about <laughs> Tua?
1: Like, is this a Tua uh, problem? Is this a Mike McDaniel problem? Is it both? I'm glad that you asked this question because I have been really sincerely struggling to try and figure that answer out myself, especially after watching this game. Uh, and then some news broke today that was really interesting. It kind of caught me off guard. Uh, the GM for the Dolphins, Chris Gre- Chris Greer, has said that the goal is to have Tua with the Dolphins as a long-term solution at the quarterback position. I think you're capped. I think that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to is I I get both – there's there's a lot of talk about both those things that you just mentioned. Is it Mike McDaniel or is it Tua? I think it's Tua. I think it's Tua. I, I, I don't know – where the Dolphins organization goes from here, right? Because on paper, this team is electric. They have a an NFL team that could win a race against track athletes at the Olympics. Like they're they are so fast, and not only that, but they're also very talented. McDaniels, you, you think about it, and I, I kind of rationalize it this way Tool was on his way out before Mike McDaniels got there. I mean, that, that, was the, that is the truth. Tua was looked at as a mediocre quarterback. He was not going to be the future for the Dolphins. And what changed there? Mike McDaniels came in. And then Mike McDaniels kind of revitalized Tua in a lot of different ways. And so it got me kind of thinking, why? What happened here for this to happen? Last season... Tua had a brain scramble and was out for – he was in and out of games for a large majority of the last season. So I think we kind of gave Tua a little bit of a pass there, and we didn't really get to fully see what he was with Mike McDaniels there. We saw glimpses of greatness, and we got excited about that. And we're like, you know, he could potentially be the guy. So we kind of bought into that narrative. We have now seen him without brain scramble for an entire season playing with Mike McDaniels. And I think Mike McDaniels surely carries some of the blame in, in, in this whole thing. But – I think much like what Mike McDaniels did when he was with the 49ers, he's getting the best out of his quarterback situation. You look at somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo. Could be kind of a similar situation where he's got all this talent around him and he's just trying to squeeze the best that he can out of Tua. I think Tua is part of the problem. I don't think Tua is part of the solution. I don't think Tua is a long-term quarterback in the NFL. But I think given the landscape of where the quarterback situation is at and where the Dolphins are as far as their future – I think they're kind of going to have to come to some sort of agreement and they're going to have to, I mean, obviously their GM kind of feels that way, but yeah. I think, I think it's kind of Tua. I think Tua is going to kind of cap their, um, their abilities. He doesn't have that it factor, like someone like Mahomes or Josh Allen does. He's just, he's, he's just a guy. He's a jag. That's what he is. And Mike McDaniel's is trying to get the best out of him. And, and that's the conclusion I've came to. So I, I welcome anybody's thoughts and opinions yeah, on that. Cause I, I don't know if I'm, <clears throat> it's no, I agree. I think,
3: on. I think if you go back to the the draft in which they grabbed Tua, they could have had Herbert. And you kind of go back and you're like, mm, if we could have redone that one, we probably would have went a different direction. I think what it comes down to is, one, freaking shocker that the guy from Hawaii that played college in Alabama and now plays professionally in Miami struggled to play in cold weather. Like that dude's never even lived in cold weather for like one second. And I know if you live in the Midwest right now, it is currently minus 30. We're all freezing our asses off. And like, if you don't know how to handle yourself in that, it's going to be a big, big problem. And on top of that, I think the the people were already doubting his arm strength. I think, sure, he can throw it deep and he can throw a couple of good ones if he really needs to. But even watching that game, and I know Mahomes is Mahomes, but you saw one quarterback with it being freezing who's from Texas, went to Texas Tech. Sure, he plays professionally in Kansas City, but it's not like he's, you know, freaking Eskimo just living in it all the time. Like, you got to figure it out. And I think he had arm strength, hand strength to be able to get it done and like be able to push the ball down the field. But from this Miami team, this is, it's, it's interesting from a Mike McDaniels perspective, like was he limited in his play calling because of Tua's inability to push the ball down the field or is McDaniels just an idiot and only calling screens and, and swing passes to try to like get the ball out of his hands as quickly as he could. And I don't know how to reconcile that. I think it's one feeds the other. I think we were just talking about Stefanski and how he was able to rally a team behind Joe Flacco coming in last minute. And then you have McDaniels where, I think McDaniels has a good script in his head of how he wants this to go. And I think he has the tools to be able to get it done. But I don't think he's able to reconcile for the deficiencies that Tua has. I think he has what he has. I think he needs a good quarterback to make everything click for him. And I don't think he's such a good coach that he can just be like, oh, I'm just going to Mike Tomlin my way to the playoffs. Like Things have to work right for him. He has to have a stacked deck, I feel like, for things to work in his favor. And Tua is not going to give him that. And the fact that the GM is saying, we're just going to roll with Tua, if I'm Mike McDaniels, I'm like, fuck. Like I don't know how to do this then because he's not able to push. He's not able to push the ball like I want. I think the the glaring deficiency from this game was their inability to run. They didn't like dirt wasn't working and they're like, all right, screw it, let's just abandon it. And a chain wasn't working. Like all right, let's just screw it. They just didn't want to be there. It was freezing. I was watching clips on my phone because I didn't even actually watch the game. Um, and I was like, I don't even want to be there. I'm not watching next week either. Shocker. Wow. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah, that's I, that's fan, what it is for me. That's where it is I, for me with Tua.
1: I gotta
2: say that Dolphins fans yeah. aren't
1: watching either. Sorry, scott I just want <laughs> to let you know. Yeah. Dolphins no. fans won't be watching.
2: Um Mike McDaniels, and Hunter, you brought this up when Hard Knocks first came out, in season hard knocks with the Dolphins, that Mike McDaniels maybe doesn't we, we all saw him from the outside as kind of this goofy, lovable guy that everybody liked. And when you watch him interact with the team throughout the entire course of Hard Knocks, which I know that maybe that's a little cliche to bring that up, but you do sort of get an inside scoop about the relationship of this team. And even I'm sitting there with my wife watching Hard Knocks, who she doesn't care anything about football. And she's like, when is this guy going to stop talking? He is like the most annoying, least motivational person who's ever lived. And I do think that Mike McDaniels has a great knowledge of the game of football, um, but I think he he's all playbook and no oomph. You know, I've, I've often criticized Dan Campbell as you know, for being all oomph and no brains. And I think Mike McDaniel is the exact opposite of that problem. And he's not able to get these guys motivated when he speaks. You almost think they're they're just like counting down the seconds to when he's done talking. And I do think that that makes a big impact, especially on a team that's from a fair weather state. When they have to go play a hard nosed game of football, it's hard to get them motivated. And I think we saw that this week and we've seen it several times this season. I
1: think what you, I'm glad you said that because that is a, something I couldn't vocalize as beautifully, but I I think it holds merit. And I I tried to say that earlier in the season, watching hard knocks. I think he's a nerd. I think that's what Mike McDaniels is, is he is a, he is. And it's, it's comical to say, but he is a nerd who is really smart about football. That's that. That's what the conclusion I've come to is. He is a smart guy when it comes to football, but I think, kind of meshing together what you both said he doesn't have that leadership quality to get everybody to buy in which is not good and then the other thing that he's not good at is he's not able to pivot in in game time decisions and mm-hmm. and make the pivots needed in order for his team to succeed so he, he goes in with a game plan and if that game plan works the Dolphins do very well but I think for him if if the game plan that he has come into that game with does not work, he doesn't know how to make any sort of pivots to try and still stay competitive. And I think I think really all season that has shown with the Dolphins paired <clears throat> with Tua, of course.
3: Yeah, I think if you're a Dolphins fan, the only thing that pisses you off more about this game is the fact that it was on fucking Peacock, which I thought was the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. You have an NFL game that has to be subscription only through a streaming service and i think this is just the only reason this pisses me off is i feel like this is the beginning of this happening more and obviously they said oh it's 23 million people times however much they paid or didn't pay with the with the free trial um or if you're like yeti and i you, you don't know how to stream it illegally like it, I, I this is just Allegedly. such a bullshit oh, no i did it um this is such <laughs> a bullshit <laughs> thing to out. do it's so fucking dumb like i don't get why they wanted to push this I hate all these streaming services. we're going backwards in time when streaming first came out it was cool because you're like oh shit like yeah I could just do this and like I got all this stuff now everybody has their streaming service and now we're going to go backwards to the point where cable is going to be like all right let's bundle all these streaming services into channels <laughs> that you can watch and we'll call it cable and everybody's gonna be like that's genius and then <laughs> this is all we're just going backwards it's annoying me because it's exactly what's going to happen is they're going to bundle nfl subscription packages now with all these streaming services now you have to buy an additional and i just see it coming and it's annoying as shit and i wish more people streamed illegally to like totally boycott this but here we are congratulations nbc you got your fucking game on peacock amazing
1: yeah i we our uh leather twitter account had tweeted that off and was just like i wonder how much money people have made like the uh-huh. peacock has made for just this because everybody's going to subscribe for the, if their free trials over, they're fucked. But then after that, some people are going to forget to subscribe and pay a couple months and it just turns into a sink. And it's just like, it's a, disgusting clear money grab that is frustrating I agree with you and I am somebody who did subscribe so I could watch the damn game and they, they I mean they did it right like they went and grabbed the Chiefs so everybody would watch them because it's the damn Chiefs they got the Taylor Swift fans because Taylor Swift is at the gate like it just it was a perfect pairing <laughs> for hey we're gonna make a shit ton Hate of it. money if we just buy this game and I, I'm with you I agree well they're but trying that's...
2: to compete with like Netflix and everybody has Netflix and everyone's had Netflix so how, how do you compete with them well you, you don't you, got, you, got you to bend, do you bend over
1: and you take it because you're
0: not <laughs> no. Netflix you're yeah peacock. the difference is Netflix Netflix has a bunch of content and good content, whereas Net or Peacock, all they have is a live game once a week. That's it. Yeah. They don't have shit on Peacock. Fuck Peacock. Have you looked through they their have, library? They do yeah.
3: have Parks and Rec. Big Parks and Rec fan. I do like Parks and Rec. They, but other they did that.
2: go, that's another money grab that they did though. They went and picked up all the really popular sitcoms, The Office and yep. Parks and Rec, and they're like, oh, these were popular and in their prime. Let's just only have them on Peacock. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because people will buy it oh, so genius. they can go watch it. Yeah, yep. it's so fucking dumb. Speaking of so buying, fucking... who bought in that the Green Bay Packers were going to be Dallas 48 um, to 32?
2: One of us can you raise know, our w- hands.
3: There's there's one of us here that had the foresight, the brains, <laughs> the genius, the wherewithal to stand in front of America and say Green Bay is going to beat Dallas.
2: And, and he's and very humble if you can't. I tell. Oh, it's me. I'd my say that's me one of the I'm reading grades. off a
3: telephone I will I will read whatever is in front of me so I was just re- that's totally my fault yeah mm-hmm. it was me um <laughs> I like to give you guys shit. um and I think it was it was I think rewarding to be able to be like they match up well and I think it was just the fact that Green Bay plays a style that is punch you in the mouth they'll hit you deep and I don't think Dallas wanted any part of that and I <clears throat> was more banking on the fact that Dallas was just going to come in super nervous and that's how they've always come out in the playoffs the last however many years that Dak's been there, is they just seem super nervous for whatever reason, whether it's Dak. Right away, you could see Dak throwing to CD. It was just all off. You got love, you know, perfect passer ratings. Like, this game, I didn't see that happening, but I did think that Green Bay was going to have a good enough day in the trenches to just wear down, beat up, and kind of make it a game, but I didn't see them running away as much as they did. But this was, if you're a Dallas fan, I feel really sorry for you. There's that clip of all the Dallas fans running in through the the front doors as soon as they opened because they have all that standing room. God, could you imagine like standing out in the cold? It was cold for Texas because I think it was like 30 degrees or something. I forget how cold it was there, but I'm sure it was very cold for for Texas people. Standing outside, freezing your ass off, and then going on like a dead sprint to a spot to just stand and then like... 20 minutes later, you're like, well, that's it for me. I'm done watching this. I'm just going to turn around and sprint back out.
2: See, I feel you, no sadness. You, yeah. You describe for sorrow fans. for them, but I think it's quite hilarious. And I know Hunter's in the same boat with me. So, um, not to take anything away from Alan, because he is the only one that picked green Bay to win Yeti, you weren't on that episode. So maybe you secretly had them as well. But, uh, I do just want to run through a few stats, uh, from Dallas. All the, all Cowboys fans cover your ears, earmuffs for this one. Cause you're not going to want to hear it, but, um, just things that the rest of us can find humorous. Um, Dallas is 5-6 and six as a playoff favorite since 1996, which means they have a losing record as a favorite in the playoffs since 1996. Dak is 2-5 and five in the playoffs, which is tied for the worst record in playoff history. Uh, this is their third straight loss as a playoff favorite, and they are the first team since the merger to accomplish that. So that's great. Um, This is their eighth one-and-done since 1996. Now that the Lions have won, that means this is the second most in that span. The Colts are the only one with more. Uh, And then Dak has thrown 10 interceptions against the Packers alone, which is more than any other opponent, including all of the opponents in his own division. So the Packers definitely have Dak's number. So just things that go to show that we probably should have taken the Packers in this one. I don't know why we didn't do that.
0: Yeah, and I know Dak is getting a lot of the blame, but I think we need to look at Dallas's defense too because this is one of the uh, defenses that we looked at as saying, oh, they're a top 10 defense. But if you look back at their history, the Cardinals kind of gave teams the blueprint on how to beat the Cowboys. You run the ball on the Cowboys. You run it down their throat. You get a lead, and you get to a point where Dallas, they can't get their pass rushers after you because that's what their defense is made on. Or, yeah, they're made on Micah Parsons getting after the quarterback. But if you have the lead, you're not chucking the ball as much. They can't get to you on third and long as more as often. And so they're leaving their secondary behind, um, you know, in these games, right? Uh, Buffalo kind of showed us the, this blueprint too, in week 14, but something I thought that was interesting was in Dallas's wins this year, they only allowed 87.6 yards on the ground per game and their losses. It was doubled at 166 yards per game on the ground, which is insane. And you saw that very clearly with Aaron Jones and green Bay this past weekend, they wanted to run the ball and they did effectively, um, do you guys have anything else on the on the Dallas defense that you want to talk about before we talk think, about Green Bay?
3: Yeah, I think um if you – depending on how you feel about Dan Orlovsky, he's hit or miss sometimes on some of these big talking shows. But one of the things that he was pretty adamant about before this game even played was that the Dallas defense does not do well with motion. They don't do well with guys shifting over the place. They don't do well, which if you go to uh who is – You know the only team to beat dallas or who was we look at miami beating dallas recently what do they do a lot of they just had a lot of motion like and he said that and i was like okay that's interesting and if you look at the game plan from uh what Lafleur had which just genius like that's all he did like he was just moving people around on offense he was getting them out of position he you saw wide open tight ends wide open wide receivers like that's not just because dallas necessarily like fell down or they tripped you know whatever they tripped on themselves it was really like all by design and I think kudos to LaFleur for seeing that and you know almost like for the Dallas coordinators they didn't look like they adjusted anything for the playoffs like it's the fucking playoffs like you got to do something different they have 18 weeks of what you did to look at before the game like they're gonna figure it out that's the thing Mm -hmm. with NFL they will figure it out and if you don't do something different if you don't adjust this is what you're gonna get That's why you get a Dak pick six. That's why you get the defense getting gashed. That's why they're out of position. Like They can see it, and they didn't adjust anything. So I think as much as it is on the players, I think the coaches did nothing to help these guys Mm -hmm. get in position to like win this game.
2: Yeah, I do just want to say one more thing to maybe ease the burden on Cowboys fans a little bit. Um, Not so much, though. But this game, uh, as bad as it was, could have been even worse for you because with 10 minutes remaining in this game, Dallas was down by 32 points that deficit would have tied the largest of any playoff loss in NFL history. So if Green Bay wouldn't have pulled their starters, they would have kept a foot on the gas. This not only would have been another bad playoff loss for you, but it would have been an even more historic loss. So they, they managed to rally enough to avoid that, at least.
1: Well, and you mentioned that they pulled their starters. Uh, that in and of itself in a playoff game is embarrassing. I mean, that it is. If you're going to pull your starters out of the game in a playoff game – should you be in the playoff game? I mean, that's yeah. kind of where my that's where I go from a mental standpoint. Jordan Love looked absolutely fantastic. He went sixteen for twenty-one for two seventy-two and three touchdowns. But really, the the, the storyline here is Dak Prescott. I mean, let, let's be honest. Dak Prescott mm-hmm. threw two <laughs> interceptions, one of which being a pick-six, one of which became a touchdown. Not not short thereafter, he threw the interception. That's fourteen points. It's on Dak that is 14 points. So let's just say for hypothetical conversation here. We take off 14 points off the score. So the the overall score was 48 to 32. Packers win. You take away 14 points of these Packers that Dak graciously handed them. The score now becomes 34 to 32. I get what you're saying, Scotty, and I, that at the 10 minutes left in the game, they were down by a large margin, and Dak did end up putting his big boy pants on and trying to get them as close as they could. But at the end of the day, that's Dak Prescott's fault. And, and yeah. you, you, we can share the blame with Mike McCarthy. We can share the blame with the coaching staff. But at the end of the day, Dak Prescott has not been able to succeed with the Cowboys. He gets them in winning positions. They go 12 and five, they make it to the playoffs and then they bust. That is what Dak Prescott historically has been for this team and this organization. And I don't know where the Cowboys go to try and write themselves. This I don't is, know if Dak this Prescott's is, this
3: answer. Is, this is Dak's MO, even years prior. He's he's a great backdoor stat cover. And you fast forward to next year and somebody's going to bring up this game and they're going to be like, he threw for 400 yards and three touchdowns. And that couldn't be his fault. And it's like, he did this, he he's, he's done this his entire career where he'll like just backdoor his way into like a really nice stat line. You're like, that's pretty good. He's a pretty good guy. And it's, it's, we know football doesn't happen in a vacuum. All these things stack on top of each other and in slaps you're absolutely right like his inability to like steady the ship while it was obviously like starting to retain water like they had multiple opportunities to right wrongs and as if you know your defense is leaky like offense coordinator let's drop some more run plays let's control the ball a little bit let's let give our defense time to figure it out you play complementary football and the teams that are at the top do that the teams that stay up at the top do that and the teams that don't Find themselves in these holes or weird predicaments, you're like, well, I haven't seen that all year. And it's like, yeah, because they they found you out. They found your tendencies. And now you have you don't know what to do to write to that ship. And if Dak Prescott is gonna be the leader of this organization, if you go back and look at, you know, the top quarterbacks throughout NFL history, like they take it into their own hands. They're like, Yeah, this doesn't look right. I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna do that. Like they're sitting on this, they're not sitting on that. And like they were just sitting on everything he was doing, and he just didn't know how to adjust. He was just sitting there like Vic, like just a complete victim to the whole situation. He was a jack, And at the end, and then at the end, he's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to throw some, we'll get us, we'll get some yards. And it's like, dude, nobody gives a fuck. We're already watching. Like, I'm already trying to figure out like what Peacock does and like, nobody's watching. (laughs) anymore.
2: (laughs) Well, and I I love dogpiling on the Cowboys as much as anybody, but we do have to give Jordan love his due. We mentioned it, that he had a great game. Um, This was my Packers stat of the game here. Jordan Love finished the game with just 1.1 points short of a perfect quarterback rating, which he actually had for the vast majority of the game. They pulled him out. Everyone said, oh, he had this perfect passer rating. Then they ended up putting the starters back in after the Cowboys drove 91 yards to narrow the score a little bit. And in that time, Jordan Love threw one pass, and that one pass went incomplete, which cost him the perfect passer rating. Had he maintained it, he would have been the first quarterback in uh, Super Bowl-era history to have a perfect passer rating in the playoffs. So needless to say, Jordan Love is the man. If you're a Packers fan, you got to be ecstatic about how he has improved over the course of the season as a starter. Um, It's he's he's impressive. He's fun to watch.
1: I thought you were going to say, needless to say, Jordan Love gave Matt LaFleur a black eye at the end of this game for screwing (laughs) up his record there.
2: I don't even know if anyone realized it while the game was happening. And obviously, they're much more concerned about winning the game than any of those stats.
0: And one thing about the Green Bay offense is they don't have a pass catcher that's over the age of 25 years old. Yeah, Their guys. oldest wide receiver is Christian Watson, and he's 24 years old on a rookie contract still. So,
2: mm-hmm. so this
0: that wide receiver room and tight end room is only going to get better with Jordan Love, who's 25 years old still. That's a and, scary thought.
1: Well, and the, the interesting thing then becomes, and I know we need to move on to this, this Lions-Rams game here, but to conclude that, do they get a – I'm going to ask you guys this question, and I think it's probably time to move on. Do they get a discount with Jordan Love as a quarterback because he has not played as long and shown himself as long given somebody mm-hmm. like Joe Burrow, who was drafted at the same time and garnered a huge contract? Packers get any discount here because this is really Jordan Love's first year? Are they going to have to pay a premium to try and keep him around?
3: If If he has a good agent, he should get paid, but – I don't if know. I how I good his saw, agent
1: is.
0: Yeah, if I saw Daniel Jones get $40 million a year, I'm saying I want $50 True. million dollars a year.
2: Yeah. <laughs> True. That's fair. Daniel Jones fucked it up for everybody. He really did. Uh all right.
1: Let's go over to this Lions Rams game. As a pseudo Lions fan, I will take the reins here. Lions win this game in 24 to 23. I I had this game circled as is the game I was most excited for. There's a lot of history here with both the quarterbacks. There was a lot of narrative going into this game. I really thought the Rams were going to win this game, but I you know, I'm happy that the Lions won and more than anything else, I'm really happy that this just was a good game. This is what I had thought this was going to come to. I I mm-hmm. really did think this was going to be anybody's game and I think Vegas even agreed with me there. I think the spread was pretty pretty uh narrow. So it it, it came down to the wire. The Lions won this game. I'm just, I man, the Lions, when they are clicking, they're clicking, man. And I know that we're going to kind of get into the weeds of it and talk about Dan Campbell. So I, I, I will let you guys do all that talking, but I've just got to say this. The Rams are a team that nobody wants to face. I I know they're in my Uh division. They're in my conference. I don't like when we have to play them because I have a lot of admiration for Sean McVay and what what that team has done there. Puka Nakua has looked incredible this entire season and broke even more records in this game as a rookie. And I really did think that the Rams are going to bring this one home. But... I'm really happy for the Lions. Let's keep rolling. Let's keep biting kneecaps and let's see what happens again next week.
3: Yeah. I think, in, in, I know we, before we went live, I talked and wanted to talk to Scotty about Dan Campbell. I didn't have anything super specific, but if you look at this game, this is exactly what we said weeks leading up to the playoffs was that nobody wants to play the Rams. Nobody wants to play the Rams. Nobody wants to play the Rams. And if you look, you know, if I told you before the game that Matt Stafford's going to throw for 367, two touchdowns, Nakua's going to have 181 and a touchdown, you're going to be like, No turnovers for the Rams. You're like, damn, that does not look good for the Lions. And I thought for this, I thought this was a uh, a beautifully coached game from Dan Campbell and the fact that he kept his team together. Listen, they were outgained on in every facet except for rushing, which was just barely. Um, The Rams were averaging seven point seven yards per play. Like I said, there was no there were no turnovers, minimal penalties. It was a clean game. It was just who wants it more all game and this was one of those staple Dan Campbell games. And yeah, he's not going to X and an OU, but who did they have to play on the other side? The guy that is going to X and OU to death and is going to scheme and match up to death. And I thought it was a great, I, I thought it was great for the city of Detroit. I thought it was great for Dan Campbell. I think it legitimizes a lot of things that he was doing. Cause if you look at a lot of the broadcast, everybody's picking the Rams. I know we were very leery about how this lion's team was going to show up and you know what, it, they could have easily lost this game, but it was yeah. just kind of like, that's how it happens in the playoffs. And they stuck together and they just, they did what they did. You know, no, it wasn't pretty from an efficiency standpoint, but it got the job done.
2: Yeah, no, and, and I agree with you. I mean, this was a great coach game by Dan Campbell, no doubt about it. And my, my problem with Dan Campbell isn't when he coaches games well, it's when he blows games because he's st- he's not coaching them well. And that's happened several times this season. Um, but this was, I agree with you, 100%, a great, a well-played game, a great coach game. I think the Lions earned this. Um, and You know, it goes back to what we said, we talked a couple weeks ago, are the Lions a legitimate Super Bowl contender? And I had said then, and I still believe now, that the way the league is shaken up, absolutely. I mean, anybody is at this point in time, and if the Lions are going to give that product on the field in every game, arguably this is one of the most competitive matchups they're going to have in the playoffs. You know, the Rams are no joke. That offense is no joke. Um, And so I think they're in it just as much as anybody, and if they're going to show up and perform like that, hell yeah. I mean, they're, they're in it as much as any other team in the league.
1: And as somebody who has been a Dan Campbell supporter this entire season, you know, I was even in the camp and I said this in our group chat. I said, my biggest concern is that Dan Campbell makes one of those questionable calls that he has notoriously done throughout the season and the Lions lose the game because of it. He didn't. And they won, and I I think it's because you didn't see nearly as much tomfoolery in that category of, you know, a fake pun on your own 40-yard line. And just, like, the ancillary weird shit that Dan Campbell has done. I love it in the regular season because it just adds spice and flair to the entirety of the story and the narrative and and the game itself. You're in the playoffs now. Let's act like a big boy and let's make the smart, right decisions in order to let your team succeed. And and I think Dan Campbell really did in this one. And while uh, I think Dan Campbell, he... Take it, Scotty. You got well,
2: it. I was just going to say, before Yeti went... Um, one of the things that was impressive about this game and the reason why Dan Campbell didn't have to make those questionable calls is because the Lions offense was rolling. They were unstoppable yeah. in the entire first half. They only saw four third downs. And in that time they scored 21 points. So they were absolutely rolling to start this game off. That alleviates so much of the pressure, even though it's a tight game, it alleviates so much of the pressure from the coaching staff where they say, Hey, w- look what we did in the first two quarters. We don't have to make stupid decisions. We don't have to take unnecessary risks. Our offense can move the ball and they that right away,
0: and we have to give a lot of credit to the defensive coordinator too in Detroit because they gave up over four hundred passing yard or not passing yards, but four hundred total yards. But they didn't give up a touchdown in the red zone. Their red zone defense really stepped up. They didn't allow a single touchdown on three attempts. Um, Sean McVay had to settle for three field goals in that time, which that was really the difference in that game, because if they get a touch on on one of those three attempts, we're looking at a different result, hypothetically. Right. Um, And I I think the uh, defensive coordinator deserves a lot of kudos. Um, Scotty, you go ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, and I just have the, my stat of the game here coincides perfectly with that um, because we were just like everybody else looking at this Lions defense and saying, okay, these guys are a liability and, you know, the Lions are going to lose games because their defense can't seem to stop anybody. But if you delve a little bit deeper into the stats, what I thought was interesting and surprising before this game is that the Lions defense was actually the number one rush defense when adjusted for the league average. So DVOA, the Lions rush defense is no joke. And we demonst- or they demonstrated that in this game where they held Kyron Williams, who was the talk of the town for the entire season, to 61 yards and no touchdowns. That's over 30 yards fewer than his game-by-game average, and he averaged. He only played 12 games. He scored 12 touchdowns. He averaged a touchdown per game, and they held him in check. That defensive front is a big reason why the Lions walked away as a winner.
1: Aiden Hutchinson, man, he's a real deal.
0: Yeah, and one last thing about the Rams, and then we can move on to our next – uh segment here um do you guys think we saw an official passing of the torch between puka and cooper cup uh cooper cup he didn't have the game we're used to seeing from him in clutch games uh he had five catches for 27 yards uh puka nine catches 181 yards and a touchdown is this the official goodbye cooper cup or what are what are we thinking here
1: i think it is i think we've seen it all year you know like i mean where has cooper cup been all season where has the the Cooper cup that we have known been all season he's he's come back from injury and uh, and there's a new sheriff in town and that person is Bukinua <laughs> and and it it has shown this game was a great indication that that is the case. It was funny. The the uh, announcers of this game were even talking about how Puka is he's joining Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup for their breakfast talks. And <laughs> you know, we we joked about that last season about what what are they talking about at breakfast and everything, and, and <laughs> how they've that. allowed Puka Nakua to come to breakfast with them. <laughs> it's shown. It's shown with this rookie, like he is buying into this, and I, I think it's a really good indication of not even just Sean McVay, but Matthew Stafford and his ability to. Be that that leader and that teacher and mentor for his wide receivers, and he he did it with Cooper Cup, and he's now doing it with Puka Nakua. I think yeah. we have officially seen the torch pass, and and I think Cooper Cup's best days yeah. are uh, a little bit behind him.
3: I think I think if you're a Rams fan and you like McVay and Stafford together, I think you can thank. Uh puka for keeping them around because i i think if he wasn't if he wouldn't have emerged as like a good threat if they would have missed on the draft if cups getting hurt stafford's i think it changes how you look at the end of the season obviously i don't think they get to the spot they are without him and i think it might have reinvigorated and mcveigh said as much he's like hey thanks this team for finding myself you know this year or whatever he said it's like i honestly think puka (laughs) is keeping them in the league again which is crazy to say so i i would agree with you i think it's it's more Puka than it is Cooper now, and I think Cup may be more just lingering injury related. It's tough to get off that train once once you're on it.
2: Mm. And and in fairness to Cooper Cup, obviously we know he's extremely talented, and he's not just competing with any other wide receiver here. Puka Nakua has exploded onto the scene. We already know that he broke the uh, rookie receiving record uh in the NFL this year with fourteen hundred and eighty six. In this game, he broke the rookie uh, post-game receiving record with 181 yards. He stole that from Rashi Rice, who held it for about 24 hours. Um, And he also has the record for most receptions in a single game for a rookie with 15. So this guy is very clearly one of the best we've ever seen in his first year. Um, So, you know, Cooper Cup, I'm sure he's glad to have Puka there, but it's not like he's competing with any Joe Schmo off the street here uh, for targets. That's fair to say.
1: All right, let's go over to Monday Night Preview slash Review. So the Bills game has just concluded against the Steelers. Alan, do you have the final score? I do not have that
3: game. 31-17. 31-17, I... Bills. We stopped Steelers. The yeah, Steelers made it close. It was uh, 24-17. Steelers punched a touchdown, and it looked like it was could have been a little bit more back and forth. Josh Allen takes him down the field for a go-ahead touchdown, and then the Eagles failed to convert on fourth down, and that was that.
2: Do we do we know what the uh the Josh Allen throw any picks in this uh, game? No turnovers not. as far
3: as no turnovers <laughs> as far as I know. He, he upset kid. about this. He no, I'm for, not upset. Uh, I mean, it sucks. He threw kind for two hundred and three yards and three touchdowns. One of those touchdowns was on an extremely short field, so just super efficient in that regard. And then he rushed for a lot. I think he had like sixty yards rushing and a touchdown as well. So mm-hmm. Josh Allen touchdown... accounted for four four touchdowns on the day.
2: A touchdown rush that he had was the longest of his career, and it oh, wow. was electric. He was baller. Yeah, you, you I was streaming a... <laughs> because I had
1: money on it, so I was pretty happy myself. He gave but...
3: like a little hezy that looked like he was going to slide, Slider. yeah, and I think that froze everybody because they're like, "Oh, he's going down; I can't hit him." And that's like, well, as soon as you do that, it's over. Mahomes well, does and, that all the time too. I'm sure it drives everybody nuts.
2: And you you saw his speed at the back end of that. People forget how effing gigantic josh allen is like people he's have huge. compared him to ben roethlisberger oh, and he's obviously packing. he's like he's the no. body of young ben roethlisberger before he put on some pounds um but he has the speed of an elite runner and it's I, you saw him outrun defensive backs from a standing start like ugh, that's i tough think to ben with.
3: roethlisberger has only been that fast in like a car i don't think he he's <laughs> ever been that fast in, in his entire life yeah what, okay
1: so I don't think there's a lot to to discuss in this game. Like I said, we nope. turned it off at halftime to come do Nothing. the show instead because it was such a the uh Steelers probably didn't belong in the playoffs, and I think this game was kind of indicative of that. So let's talk about the uh game tonight. We have the Eagles versus the Bucks here at 715 Central. So it's right around the corner. Obviously, if you're listening tomorrow on your podcast platform, you know what's happened, but it has not happened for us. No spoilers, yet. please. We all have the Eagles here except Scotty, who's taking the Bucks. Scotty, why are you taking the Bucks over the Eagles?
2: Um, the only reason is because for five weeks in a row, I have said the Eagles will find a way, they'll put it together, and they just never have. They've disappointed me for five straight weeks because obviously we know the potential. We know the talent on this team, and they just seem to have completely forgotten their identity toward the end of the season. And the other big thing is when the Eagles were winning these close games at the beginning of the year, they were winning it with A.J. Brown, getting over a hundred yards receiving averaging over hundred yards receiving. They started losing games. Once AJ Brown started dropping into the 50 yards and 60 yards per game. Well, guess what? AJ Brown's not going to be on the field at all. Huh? And so I, I think that is going to fundamentally change Spoiler. the way this offense runs. Um, I will say, and we talked about this a little before the show, the forecast is projecting some rain and, if the Bucs are going to win this game, they have to get their pass catchers involved. And if it's a torrential downpour, uh, that could change the math a little bit. But ultimately, I just think the Eagle. I hope the Eagles win. I want them to win this game. But they just haven't given me enough confidence to say that they're going to win. And Baker Mayfield, you know, the last couple games aside, has really found a way to put that offense together and has, has the potential to put up a lot of points.
1: Okay. Eagles are five and six when favored by three or more points. And tonight they are favored by three points. So let's see if they become an even 50% go six and six here. The rest of us have the Eagles. I don't know if we really need to go into details. I just wanted to hear why Scotty had the Bucks Cause I think most people probably do have the Eagles here. Um, let's, let's move over into the divisional round. We have a couple questions here by some people so we will answer those here at the end of the show but let's let's give a sneak peek we'll just kind of have a brief uh discussion about this divisional roundup coming next week in the sneak peek that that entails so packers at 49ers san francisco they are minus 10 point favorites i think we've all got the 49ers here it looks like i have not put mine in but i do also have the 49ers it's a no-brainer 49ers i think are going to win the super bowl i've said that repeatedly and uh uh, looks like their first opponent (laughs) is going to be the packers so um I wish the Packers best of luck. They, I like Jordan Love, but forty I, I think
3: win. they got to get on Love early. I think if yeah. he gets any confidence in that game, and they don't get to him and, and rattle him a little bit, get him off his spots a little mo- bit more, I think it it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a much closer game. I actually like the Packers covering that ten. Mm-hmm. If that's the spread, yep. I would hammer the Packers on that because I think it's going to. I think it's going to go into the fourth quarter. I think Love is going to. It, it, he obviously had his coming out party. I think this cements it against this team. I think he really keeps him in the game to the very end, but 49ers. Just
2: just an interesting question. Uh, if the the your franchise quarterback suddenly vanished off the face of the earth and you had to choose between Brock Purdy and Jordan Love, you know, both of them have seen success now. Who are you picking?
1: Jordan you have, Love. I mean, I'm gonna yeah, Love. I'm going to take Love. I'm going to take Love as well, for yep. sure. Um. Okay. Eagles. Bucks. Whatever. Whoever wins tonight will play the Lions. Now, if the Lions play the Eagles, the are the Lions are two and a half point favorites. Is that right? Yep. yep. Wow. That's interesting. Um. And if the uh, Eagles win tonight, then they would play. Um, for neg- or for six and a half point favorites, I butchered this whole thing. It's kind of hard to read. It's okay, um, because there's a lot. <laughs> the Lions
3: of would be favored by two and a half over the Eagles. The Lions would be favored over six and a half versus Tampa Bay.
1: Thank you. Uh, looks like I have not given my thoughts and opinions on this game, so I will do it now. Scotty, you've got the Lions. The rest of you guys have the Eagles, assuming that the Eagles do beat the Bucks. Um, but if the Bucks play the Lions, then Allen has the Lions. Um, I'm going to take the Lions. I'm going to roll with you, Scotty. Let's do this thing. I I, uh, I made the mistake last week of saying that Sean McVay was going to come in and beat the Lions. I'm done with that. I'm going to roll with the team that I have been a uh, pseudo supporter of this season. Let's go all the way to the championship. I do think the Eagles are somewhat fraudulent and they have struggled with health on both sides of the ball this year. As well as they just have not looked like the same offense or defense with losing their OC and their DC. So I'm gonna take the Lions here. I think the Lions. I think it's gonna be Eagles Lions, and I do think the Lions are gonna win this game.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think my my take. I said the Lions probably no matter what, and that's barring the Eagles coming out and looking like what we know the Eagles can be, because if the Eagles come really? out and even, even if they win, even if they, sh- if they struggle in the slightest against the bucks, I'm going to take the lions uh, because I do think that the lions top end performance is better than both of these teams. Um, but you know, with that said, Philly comes out and they start looking good and they beat down the bucks like they should, that could change things for me. But as of right now, I think it's the lions.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, you guys are taking the Eagles. Uh, let's go to the Houston Ravens game. All three of you have the Ravens, and the Ravens are eight-and-a-half-point favorites. I am also going to take the Ravens here. I think Houston's defense still has some learning to do, and I think the Ravens are going to teach them how they're going to run their offense, and I agree. they're going to destroy them. So, we'll see I think
3: if... This... Uh... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, I think that this offensive, offensively it could be kind of a fun game, but I think the Ravens' defense is is going to be the determining factor for me in this game.
3: Yeah. I was just going to put a backdrop on this. What a neat playoff we have where we have two new young quarterbacks that are coming in and, and dealing. And we're like, okay, now wait a second. Like, you know, we, they go, you have love stepping into the Niners game at San Francisco. And we're like, well, loves the better quarterback, you know, we'll see what happens. And then you have this game where you're like, obviously it's Lamar's the better quarterback, but I think the AFC nailed the, the wild, their divisional rounds now with, Having with having the Chiefs at the Bills and now having the Texans at the Ravens, I think this is it's just because it's going to be good matchups all the way around. It's going to be fun to watch yeah.
2: for all the chaos all season. It worked out okay for us <laughs> fans.
0: And I actually think I'm going to take the Texans uh, spread here. I like the oh, eight yeah. And a half. Eight and a half. yeah, eight
1: and a half. I like eight spread. and a half. Yeah, I think if they games. can
0: control the line of scrimmage and get Devin Singletary going and not put as much pressure on Stroud, I yeah. think this, this could be a good game for I, Houston.
3: I think so, too. I think the, the team, like the one seed getting the rest, there's always just like a sluggish start, and that kind of lends itself to the team maybe taking an early lead and then having to claw back and win it. So I wouldn't be surprised if that plays out here with the Texans. Hold take a halftime lead.
1: Sure. Uh, Bill's Chiefs the uh bills are two and a half point favorites so not a great spread there but i have the bills and Allen has the bills yeti and scotty have the chiefs however scotty put ride or die and he's scared either way <laughs> yeti is somebody who's not a chiefs fan what makes you take the chiefs over the bills here
0: yeah man i, I think my one concern with the chiefs going into the postseason was their offense right Um, And we saw the Chiefs on Saturday night just put on an offensive clinic. And I think they stuck to their game plan to a T. And that was to get Isaiah Pacheco the the rock early and often. In fact, he ran the ball 24 times, which I think Kansas City and Andy Reid have gone away from way too many times this postseason or even throughout his career. Um, And getting Pacheco going early – and often set up so many passing lanes for Mahomes, and you don't need much for Mahomes because he's the greatest of all time. Um, and I think you're starting to see Rasheed Rice emerge as a true wide receiver, and Travis Kelsey even had ten targets. And I mean, I think that offense is finally clicking. I know that defense is going to hold Josh Allen in check. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a good game no matter what. It's going to be a one possession type game. I think but so I prefer the experience in this situation. And that rides with my homes. <clears throat> well, I will be at Disney. I'll actually be at
3: Epcot during this game. And so nice. God knows what I'm going to be doing, but I won't be watching it. Um, I'm not going to take away from family time. I'm actually going to turn off my phone and I'm not going to turn it back on until the game's over. I'm going to totally go that route. Um, <laughs> self, self-discipline. It's called
2: You make some crazy choices. In That's the poor um, life. No. See, here's I the thing. It. That, is nope. someone
1: who has been, that is someone who has been so gifted with the recent playoff, just runs <laughs> at the Chiefs great. that he doesn't have That's to great. worry about it. And he's like, listen, we've had plenty. Listen, fuck it. five,
3: six weeks ago, Slap sat here and said, divisional rounds, the Chiefs ceiling. So either way, the Chiefs met what they were supposed to do this year with this roster. So I'm good with it. Anything more than this <laughs> is icing on the cake. So I'm cool. Um, I do think the Bills win, and I think the reason is the Chiefs have just struggled so much in the red zone, and I think if the Chiefs take that into Buffalo, I think that's the recipe for disaster, but you never know. Josh Allen starts gifting for you yeah, a back for possessions. That's, that's what it a- comes 100%.
1: down to for me is Josh Allen's going to have to minimize the mistakes and, and not not give over those gifts in this game, because yeah. if he does, I think that's where the slope gets slippery.
2: And this Kansas City defense is no joke. I mean, it'd be one thing if he was playing the defense from last season, but this is a completely different defensive unit in terms of their ability to get stuff done on the field. Josh Allen has that propensity to turn the ball over, and if he does not take care of the ball, I think the Chiefs are going to walk away with this. But if Josh Allen plays like he played today, uh, we could have a totally different story. It'll be a a good game, kind of a coin flip game.
1: All right, we got a couple questions. Let's get those, and then we will get the hell out of here.
2: Use the mail, it never fails, it makes me wanna wag my tail. When it comes, I wanna wail.
1: First question comes from Katie Kent. She was in nine leagues this season. She got four wins in three second many. place. That is a lot of leagues, but I'm going to tell you what, we appreciate you as a supporter here at Leather Brains, and uh, I know that we've helped you get so many of those wins, so uh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the question is, so she used NFL Fantasy and ESPN apps with traditional rules, but she's heard about other apps, uh, like Sleeper oh. and other types of, of yeah. gameplay, two quarterbacks, Superflex, et cetera. She doesn't really understand what the Superflex is and would just like a little bit more kind of a rundown from a fantasy football perspective of what these are. So, Sleeper is the app that I use for all of my fantasy football stuff. I love it. Um, I was a an early adopter of it, but there's some features in that app. It, the, the UI is really great. Um, and I love the group chat feature. Uh, it just kind of puts everybody in the league in a chat. They have um, whenever a trade goes down, everything's all in that chat. I love it. I think everybody should play on sleeper. I think it's the best app for fantasy football, but as far as the different league types, you got Superflex, which means you can start two quarterbacks. You don't have to, but it probably is a good idea because your quarterbacks are where the points are at. Um, their dynasty, uh, fantasy football um leagues which is you keep your players year over year uh that one gets kind of fun if you get to be a real true degen of the nfl like we are we are in a dynasty league as well as our redraft leagues which it sounds like you played in this season so i hope that answers your question um and if if any of you guys want to jump in or give any other thoughts on that please feel free
3: um yeah, I think you got it. I think it's just different ways to score points. You add players, you get to score more points. You have more options for your roster. I think it's all fun. All Nine leagues is a lot, though. That Katie. is a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot for my brain. And I, if I don't have that app in front of me, and I'm just watching games, and I think you would just celebrate
1: everything that happens at that point because I'm assuming <laughs> it, it all helps you. you the exact so you're just opposite. Like, <laughs> no, you hate everything because <laughs> you you're always everything. going against... You have a oh, player, yeah, but... and then you're going against them. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. I don't yeah, know I how mean, no you do what, everything.
2: I, I was in nine leagues this year as well, and I will not be doing that again Jesus. because of that reason. It take it takes away from the football experience because you're watching. like Part of the fun of fantasy is being able to watch a game and celebrate when your players do well. But when you got players on every single team and players going against you on every single team, it like numbs you to the effects of fantasy football. So I definitely do not <laughs> recommend does. being in that many leagues. It, it, s- it made it less fun.
3: Have you seen that video as that guy that it's like a – tongue-in-cheek it's like a short or whatever but he's like watching football and he's celebrating everything that's going on. it's like, oh yeah I have that guy and it's like random no-name guys but he's just celebrating because he's in so many leagues it's like that was Matt he's just like anybody doing it he's like mason rudolph fuck yeah
2: Woo. <laughs> well it also is because you have so many leagues you, it's impossible to remember all of your rosters so it's like yeah. do i have that guy i don't know if i'm starting him what what do i do and you just are confused yeah. and numb the whole time well yeah That's and you that, might yeah. have yeah.
1: christian mccaffrey in three leagues and then in four leagues you're going against him and you're like shit. so you kind of got to pick which league you care about more than the other ones to root for but it yeah i was in i was in seven leagues last season i was like i got to tone it back a little bit because even insane. then it was it was a lot to juggle
3: Um, You know what, Katie, what I can tell you is that, thank God, you're not in leagues way back when I remember my dad being in fantasy leagues, and I had to watch the bottom line of ESPN to check what the guys got. (laughs) And then we had to write down what the point total was. And then when the paper came out the next day, we had to get the look for stat corrections, because ESPN wouldn't always have it right. So you did stat corrections the next morning with the with the monday paper the monday morning paper is how you actually figured out and then you jotted it all down to figure out your point total so just thank god you're not playing it like that anymore that a commissioner's
1: have... life hell cuz you have to do like you have to almost fact check people to make sure Well it off.
3: was you you scored your own and your other the guy you're playing with basically checked you and said yeah that's right that's your point total and then you just said if you won or lost kind of like golf wow. yeah it was like gentlemen's it was a gentleman's game
1: uh, <laughs> next question comes from what's up podcast apologies if you guys spoke about this already but who's your coach of the year we actually did cover this on a episode a couple weeks ago we were kind of talking about this uh if you really want the analysis I would go back and listen to it but I will just say mine is D'Amico Ryans I think he deserves it and he uh he very clearly has exceeded expectations so that's mine I agree same okay cool i guess we're all in on i was not expecting that again uh, we are all in on uh D'Amico ryan's uh last question comes from abel johnson cj stroud mvp i personally think he should get it what do you guys think um i if no. he wants a super bowl well <laughs> he's like he'll be the I super think- bowl mvp
3: I think this should be the. I should. I think this should be one of the first years or a year where a quarterback doesn't get it. That's my Agreed. opinion. I don't. I, I don't think any of the quarterbacks deserve it. I think it should go to Christian McCaffrey because I think he was clearly the best player. Or, in Or I NFL. think Tyreek
1: Hill would garner some argument too because I think if you took Tyreek off that team, it would look a lot worse as well. Yeah. Um, they should give I like it to CMC. The,
3: the best player on the one seed. I think if you, they're going to give it to, to somebody this year, I think CMC should definitely get it. I think this is the year he should get it, but who knows. They'll probably just give it to Lamar because that's what the mm-hmm. MVP is I still is think now Patrick
1: it. Mahomes should be a candidate for it because I think if you took Patrick Mahomes and you put Jared Goff in this situation, this team looks terrible. So like that goes to show how much Patrick Mahomes Maybe. is important for the Chiefs. But I think yeah. he, you, there's an argument for that every year, I think. So.
2: I, I think in the postseason now, looking with the entire regular season in the rearview mirror, CMC has got to be – the, the favorite he's he's got to be up there yeah he win. he'll win hopefully the... that answers your question
1: there we go all right cool hey all you brainiacs out there really do appreciate you guys' viewership your questions your guys interactions over on twitter instagram tiktok we are all over the place and uh, i greatly appreciate your guys' support it does truly mean the world hit subscribe man hit the subscribe button and uh and we do appreciate it because uh we are a growing small podcast and show that is uh getting bigger every day but that's because of you guys and, and we are not lost on that and we do appreciate it so there's a bunch of pointing going on down on the screen i'm trying to yeah, look into the camera your professionalism you was
2: astounding oh, through good. that
1: thank you because i i just saw out on my peripherals there was just so much pointing going on and it really confused everyone's pointing to
2: the camera like it differentiates any one four of us yeah <laughs> i'm like i don't
1: know what the hell's going on i'm trying to look at the camera so people can see that i yet yet he knew who i was talking
3: clear. to Okay. Yeah, you know what talking uh,
1: Abel Johnson we are over on Spotify so go check us out there hit that subscribe button and uh we mean the world man or woman I guess I don't know oh. what you are but I would appreciate the support it does really mean the world and one and, last
2: shout out to Totem Pole Nation he says love the show and the show loves you back brother
1: amen alright let's get the hell out of here we'll do this again next Monday we
2: are out
1: if you enjoyed this episode make sure you tune into
0: our new releases every week on your favorite podcast app Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out leatherbrains.com for all of your fantasy football needs. And remember, Brainiacs, a championship should be more than a fantasy.